Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Welcome to Insurance Unplugged, the podcast that offers a candid look behind the scenes of the insurance industry. I'm your host, Lisa Wardlaw. Joining us today on our exciting series, AI in the City, we have Emma Roloff. Emma from the co-founder of Roloff Consulting. I'm so, so, so excited to have you here today and breaking down everything behind the scenes, which is the real point of AI in the City. It's a little bit combination of practical meets the urban jungle. So let's go dive deep into what that means for AI as it's applied to insurance. So Emma, as you introduce yourself to our listeners today, which most of them probably know you anyway for your infamous TikTok videos and all things digital, you're one of my favorite people to watch. Um, Could you also, in addition to sharing your background, how does it relate to our first topic, which is distinguishing between the hype and the real impact of digital transformation in the insurance industry. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the other side of the table because you have always been one of my favorite interview guests as well. Um, But for those that don't know me, just as you said, I'm the co-founder of Roloff Consulting. So my husband and I teamed up um, just a couple of months ago after both having about 10 years within the sales realm because we recognize that there's a different way for people to sell and a a way for us to speak to buyers in the way that they want to buy which some people are probably now wondering, like, how is this related to transformation and how has this all come together? Um, but prior to the last couple of months, by decade or so of enterprise sales experience was directed at insurance carriers and helping them bring in emerging technology, like we're going to be talking about things like AI, into <laughs> their organization to actually make a, a big splash and the ROI that we're all chasing. And the reason that James and I decided to start our company is because oftentimes the way that we used to sell doesn't serve the problems that we're trying to solve in the future. And how people buy is through education and really breaking down these concepts in a different way than what we might have done differently in years past. So, you know, when you used to rely on a salesperson to come in with their brochures and teach you about things physically in your office to help make buying decisions, now we're looking at how we can reach buyers and educate them on these types of topics remotely. And so a lot of the work that we do is within the insured tech space, kind of diving directly into these problems and how we can help sellers get better at solving problems for their buyers. Yeah, which, I mean, you, you know how much I, I love that. And, and just as um, lineage, I think you and I always aligned immediately on, you, you know, you, I know I, I follow you and I subscribe to your newsletter. So I'm very familiar with um, a lot of the amazing content you all produce, which on social selling and um, really like authenticity. And, and I think that's a really interesting correlation right now to what we're experiencing in AI because there's the, I'll call it like, the alphabet soup version of AI, like, you know, these poor, <laughs> these poor startups. It's like, if you want to get funded, add the like hashtag AI in your, in your, in your thing. And I mean, I'm joking and I'm not joking. Right. But 
there's also a side of that that's intimidation. And, and we're not even going into the governance and the bias and the ethical. Let's just like from the human user perspective, which is like, well, what is it doing? What can I control? What am I not going to control? And to your point, a lot of us are using it exploratorily and in our day-to-day roles already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that the people aspect of this and kind of bringing that beyond the hype, do you think people are like, I mean, where are they right now, Emma? Because like, like yeah. I have that GPT on my phone. I'm using it for a lot of things. I, I'm sure you are too. Mm-hmm. But then there's this like other dimension, which is, corporate governance, which is like, don't you use that yet because we haven't put it into, you know, we don't know what's public, what's private. And then there's the whole intimidation factor. Where do you see this in in terms of hype cycle right now? So I think people would be shocked when you get outside of like our walls of insure tech or technology focused people and how there are certain parts of the population that just like don't even care now which is like which is shocking when you start to talk about like the adoption of this technology and how much we use it in our personal lives there is this acceptance of technology and how we consume technology in our personal lives that is very different than how we consume and interact with technology at a corporate scale or within our businesses. And I say that because my seven-year-old and actually my four-year-old as of last week can interact with our voice assistants in our house, request their music. It's like, you know, the four-year-old's unlocked a whole new new kingdom now that she has control over Siri, but they, they don't understand the technology that's happening. They've just learned to adapt to it and bring it into their everyday life. And there's not the same need and desire to understand the backbone of what's happening. And then when you take a look at like the corporate use cases or work-related use cases of technology, oftentimes because we're layering this technology into these processes and these, you know, potentially decade-long or old processes that are ingrained in us, it's harder to interrupt our patterns and bring these technologies into the work that we do. So people really want to understand what's happening behind the scenes when it comes to adopting these technologies at scale within businesses. And when it comes to something like ChatGPT, where there's this massive wave of hype that comes in, it starts to erode at the trust of it a little bit because people are like, well, it couldn't be that good. And then they'll hear stories about hallucinations and then they'll hear or they'll have an experience with it where like I've had an experience where I've put something into ChatGPT and I'm like, woohoo. Yeah, you you did not you you missed the mark on that one. And so you start <laughs> to have these experiences with the technology that start yeah. to erode at the trust behind what's actually driving it and brings in this weird skepticism that starts to counteract the hype that we see when these right. technologies come out. So I think right now we're in this like kind of switch from like that tidal wave of hype that came along with generative AI where everyone was super, super excited to now we're getting to that point where people are getting a little bit more skeptical again. They've maybe had that experience where it hallucinated and gave them false information or it they didn't know how to prompt it so it just really didn't give them what they were looking for or whatever those like experiences were where now we're kind of stepping back and looking at it kind of like okay are you as good as everybody said you were and we're gonna probably see that pendulum shift a couple more times before we really truly figure out how to operationalize the technology in a meaningful way 
So you're saying you're, you're saying many interesting things, and and one in particular that we've always focused on in digital, right? Is that and I've heard it mentioned as use cases um, at conferences and roundtables repeatedly, and, and you just alluded to it, which is you know. We are accustomed to technology in the corporate world lagging behind what we're probably using in our day-to-day lives. However, as more and more and more of the generation that's always been digital has emerged into the workforce and I hate to say it, like, you know, like I graduated from college, like when we first started using the internet, I know that dates me a little bit, um, I mean, my school first started using the internet. So I'm, not <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But my, my point, Emma, is the democratization of this, and I'll go one step further, the um, the linguistic nature of this versus, like, bots and other things we were doing is very interesting. And I think one thing that's going to start to confuse us and frustrate us as workers, and that's why I think all the use cases are coming forward, like, how can we make the workers first? I, I heard like three execs talking about that at ITC Vegas. How can we empower the workers to feel more inclusive and more on par with the technology that they have at home? And so if we think about that as a leapfrog, what does that mean then for workers and then how we morph into like digital literacy so, like, what do they have to know? Because, like, to your point, you know, your example you used on your children, it's not that they had to understand it. They don't understand it. They just know it works. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's that implicit trust. There's not the skepticism that the right. tool isn't going to do what they want it to. And they don't get frustrated. I mean, yeah, multiple failed attempts, they'll get frustrated that it's not, you know, but they actually typically think that they're not saying something, right, as opposed to the yeah. technology not working. My son used to get mad when... It didn't understand his command. Yeah, you could understand what's called engineering too. Yeah, well, and so like that, but that mindset of like almost like reflecting of like, oh, it just isn't understanding me right now, as opposed to the technology isn't working, is like this fundamental shift that's happening <laughs> with these younger generations that are just growing up around consuming this um, this technology. But back to your question in terms of you know talking about people focus and people focus change is like my absolute favorite topic and <laughs> add in a little sprinkle of digital literacy and we could go forever. But when we start that to look at, <laughs> <perfect>. <laughs> uh, but now like when we start to look at how to bring these tools in, in a meaningful way again, and really start to operationalize, kind of close those gaps between what we see at home and what we see in the workplace. A lot of it is going to come down to making sure that we're including our employees and our staff at all different levels within the company in our planning and how we're visioning what we're going to bring forward. And that doesn't mean that you have to make every decision by consensus, but it does mean that you need to have a strong understanding of like, what are the pain points that your employees are having and actually acutely understanding how the technology might be able to impact that before you make the decision to bring in a new tool and try to solve a theoretical problem that you think is in place. And I I used to sell technology, so this is not a jab at anybody that's in that position, but sellers are very, very good at convincing people that they've got a problem that they need to solve and that their tool is going to be what ultimately solves that problem. Now, 
by and large, they've done a lot of research to figure out what those problems might be and help solve them. But that doesn't always mean that that's the most acute problem within your business or the best priority for you to have as an organization when you're looking at trying to solve problems. And so that disconnect is one of the things that, you know, you mentioned TikTok. When I post a video on TikTok, the disconnect that I see between executive leadership and people that are actually doing the work day in and day out within a company often comes down to like, well, the executives don't actually know what our problems are. Yeah. Or they think they're solving something or they think that they're coming in on their white horse to make our day better. But there's this disconnect between that actually understanding what the biggest pain point is at the business level and what problems we're trying to solve at the executive level. And if we want that adoption and we want to really drive a meaningful vision for transformation, we have to figure out how to break down those communication barriers that are in place so that we can all start moving in the same direction. So, so Emma, like, you, you know that the whole point of this show is unplugged, to have the conversations that other people aren't, yep. <laughs> I'll say, adventurous enough to have. <laughs> okay, so, so let's have this conversation, right? So the conversation goes... We need to be inclusive in our design. We need to talk to the users, user-led experience design. And I'm here to tell you right now, the conversation in the boardroom is they don't know what they need because they're too rote and only comfortable with improving the process that they already have. (laughs) That is literally the conversation. So it is not that we don't think about what you just said. It is, and I'm being really raw here. The mm-hmm. conversation is, it's the, and by the way, you're, they're quoting Henry Ford to support it. If you ask people how to go faster, they'd say, I need a better horse. They would not have designed the car. And so you, you and I know this, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is the conversation that's been had throughout all digital transformation. And, and you and I both know that it's a give and a take. There's a little bit, there's a lot. And to a large extent, and Emma, I, I, I studied this when I was doing transformation innovation. To a large extent, most people cannot think outside of improving what they have mm-hmm. incrementally. And that's where the digital literacy piece comes in. And yeah, that's- so like, let's hit <laughs> that down, right? Because yeah. this is where the conversation has to occur, right? Yeah. And I, I agree. I've been I've been in those planning meetings where you've got the business in in-house. And unless you've got a really good seasoned consultant that knows how to ask the right questions and lead them into this thought process of being able to see the vision, you get stunted really quickly. But I think part of how over the course of my career, where I've seen those aha moments come is from upskilling and education from a digital literacy standpoint across the company so that everybody's speaking the same language so that when those executives maybe do have to take that step and push people outside of their comfort zone, they're able to have the dialogue that's needed with the foundational understanding across the board, but also Anybody who's trying to see that vision moving forward has to understand what's actually possible from a technological perspective, and they have to understand what tools are potentially at their disposal to be able to influence some of those things. I mean, I remember, and this was not that long ago, probably within the last three, four years, I remember sitting in a meeting and we were doing a demo feedback session with a client, and we were showing them some pretty basic stuff. Like I, like just workflows that were going to make their life like 
a lot better, but at the same time, like not cutting edge technology. (laughs) And I, I wish I had like the actual quote, but it was like this woman who was so excited and she was like, I gotta stop you. I'm sorry, but this is cool as hell. And I'm like, it's a workflow. Like, I'm so glad that you're excited because I'm clearly like doing my job by giving you a tool that's going to make your life better. But we clearly need to spend some time helping you understand what else we could do. And that was such a big part of my sales style pre-COVID was lunch and learns and education and doing what I could to get as many people from a company into a room to understand the, the full depth and breadth of the tools that they were buying and how they could use them. And I would talk about it as the art of the possible on a regular basis. And that was the language that I used at that point. And then as the last couple of years continued and I got more into the change management scene and started my interview series and started building on this idea, I finally had a light bulb go off during one of my interviews. And it was like, oh, the art of the possible is driven by digital literacy. And you can't get to this visioning standpoint where you're looking at where you can take your company unless everybody has that understanding. And I've got really smart friends who are just not in technology-driven careers. And like, they legitimately will be like, what is ChatGPT? What is, you know, and like the idea that we talk about, like my husband and I are talking about technology and helping people implement AI or talking about the pros and cons of it, it blows their mind because it's just not something they interact with on a daily basis. So if your team is in one of those standpoints where they're maybe interacting with the systems that you've given them, but they've never been given the tools to go out and explore that art of the possible, you've got this chasm in your communication strategy that's going to be really, really difficult to jump. So so let's extend that a little further, right? So if we all accept that we need to become digitally literate, I think that there is this um, intimidation factor. And, I mean, I'll be totally blunt with you. Like, I used to experience it because, like, I was trained as an accountant, and I grew up in the CFO side of the house, and I moved over and kind of morphed into digital and strategy. And um, people would say, well, like, what do you know about technology? And I became somebody that in a room and in my reporting lineage could report or go head-to-head with the CIA, for sure, enterprise architect. But you know what, Emma? It was like – and let's kind of think of it as learning a language, and I bet you're going to, like, relate to this – I think of digital as like what Latin is to understanding derivation of language. And by the way, I think that at all levels of management, unless somebody has the role of technology or innovation or transformation or change management or whatever, I think very few people say, I need to immerse myself in this language. And so to me, digital literacy is not something that you do or you take a course or you learn sound bites. So what I would like to know from you is how immersive do you think digital literacy needs to be given the pace of AI, given what's really going on right now? And then where do they start? Like if people are listening to this and they're like, Hey, yeah. they were talking about something like that's kind of meaningful. Like where do they start? Like where would you tell someone to start to become immersive? Yeah. Well, I would say you're right that it does feel like a foreign language when you're stepping into it. So you at least went to business school. (laughs) I went to school to be a a social studies teacher and I learned a lot of really valuable things, but those things were not pointed towards sales. They weren't pointed towards business. They weren't pointed towards technology. 
But what I did is just what you're talking about. I immersed myself in this language. So when I was in my first tech sales job, I still have them in my back room. And one of these days I need to go through and like make a collage for everybody. But I have the notebooks that I used where I would just sit in meetings and I would write down terms I didn't understand. And I'd put stars next to them. A lot of them were acronyms because in the tech space, we love our acronyms more than I think anybody else does. Um, but I, I, I spent this time like Googling and doing this research to figure out just like, okay, what is the, what are the base terms that I need to understand. And the best way that I can explain this is that it's almost like playing a video game. So when you start, you're like learning Wait, the like terms. Is it or Pac-Man or <laughs> Actually, like my, 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 <laughs> Going back to my seven-year-old, she's been playing, a, we have a, a Switch and she's been playing uh, Super Mario Brothers from okay. back when okay. I was I like, you know, like one. early 90s. So I always go back to this, but like when you start playing Super Mario Brothers, for example, like you're going and you like hit the little information boxes and it like tells you how to like get Yoshi to eat an apple or how to get, right. you know, what to hit to level up and like get a life. So like it, it, when you start playing a video game, it's giving you this knowledge. That's kind of like where you're going out and you're doing kind of like that foundational like definition work like you were talking about and just getting this basic understanding of like, okay, what the hell do all these terms mean? And how do I even start to like feel like I can understand what the next level of the conversation is? And then eventually what happens is you level up. And that's why I say this is like a video game because you you get to the next level of realizing like, okay, so now that I know what these words mean or these acronyms mean, I can at least understand like what questions are being asked in the meeting. Right. Now it's time for me to dig into understanding like the context surrounding these terms. And then you get there and especially within technology, like there's... I. Enterprise architecture is still way over my head in certain cases, but like you get to, you get to the next level and you start to understand the next depth and breadth of the conversation and how these ideas play off of one another. But there's always another level. There's always another boss. There's always something deeper. Not every employee needs to get to the end of the video game where they're playing Bowser and trying to win back the princess. (laughs) There's, there's these levels, but you can, you can choose your own adventure based off of your role. But again, when it comes back to like that idea of digital literacy, it's that foundational knowledge of at least being able to understand what questions to ask, at least being able to understand how what's being talked about will impact you and your daily life. So we could go back to this idea of like people driven change. I talk a lot about change management. One of the most important parts of change management is understanding what's in it for me. If you don't have enough understanding of technology and the terms that are being used and how it's going to impact your life, you're never going to feel like you want to embrace the change because you're not going to actually understand the impact it's having on you or the benefit that it has for you. And so that when I talk about digital literacy, I think there's different flavors dependent on the roles in the company. An average business user needs to at least be able to understand the conversations that are happening and understand what's in it for them for these tools to come in. Once you get to an executive level, you need to have a little bit more than that because you need to be able to set proper expectations. You need to be able to help drive timelines forward, pick the right vendors. So you do have to go further along in that video game. (laughs) You do. You you have to get further along in that video game if you're an executive because those skill sets are part of what is critical for you to be successful. 
Um, back to the question of like where to start. Honestly, you can get really, really far from finding like a solid acronym guide. Um, on our website, it's not related to directly what Roloff Consulting does, but I have all of these explainer videos that I made that I've put together in a mini course for free for people that are just, that. again, yeah. like if I'm making the choice to bring in a cloud vendor, what kind of questions do I ask them? What's the difference between a SaaS platform and a pass, a pass solution? And just like these different things that are kind of like breaking down, again, for some people that might have sounded like gibberish, but breaking down these ideas to at least make you dangerous in a conversation to be able to ask that next level of questions. So would it be fair, Emma, for people that are listening to this to think of it like, again, like you're going to a foreign country and you're going to live there and they, so, cause you work there. AI mm -hmm. in the city and yeah. you live there and you need to have enough fluency to survive. You need to like, you know, like, like the common thing we used to say is you don't need to be fluent in the language, but you might need to be able to ask for directions. You might need to be able to order food. And now mm -hmm. of course with Google translate, that's probably all irrelevant. But the point is, I think the way, like when I'm listening to you describe it, I'm thinking like, I'm not going to go write a PhD paper in that language, mm -hmm. but I need to be able, depending on how long I'm living there and what, what I'm doing and who I'm interacting with, which is yeah, like the you way you're be conversational. Right. And I think that's a perfect way of putting it. You don't have to be fluent, but you have to be conversational. Right. And that's really what digital literacy is. And I think for executives, I want to amplify what you just said, because of all of my executive peers, look right, look left. And, you know, Emma, I was like originally the CFO, then the COO, then the chief data officer, and then strategy. Okay. So in the far right, I, I needed to be extremely proficient. In the far left, I did not need to be, but you need to be. So <laughs> for all of my colleagues that are not directly in AI-related roles, you need to be the most challenging, which means you need to be proficient. And I don't mean challenging as in no. In fact, you need to be so challenging that you're willing to lock hands and say, we need to budget this. We need to spend for this. We need to do this. And if you haven't immersed yourself in that, which was another behind the scenes discussion we were having in this podcast, you're going to, by definition, say no. And that may put your company at risk mm -hmm. when we get into the, like, what do we really need to do? And again, I just always say, eyes wide open. You need to be, and I think that, People in particular have this comfort with pushing that over to a form or function that makes that decision. Mm -hmm. And I would advocate, and I assume you would as well, given the digital literacy, that AI is not something that sits in any one vertical. It does not. No, it's all over the place. <laughs> There's no escaping it now. It's not escaping. Okay. So with that in mind, you've got such an amazing background. I mean, you're somebody that I would definitely tell people, like, if you, if you need to know how to navigate this, call Emma. Um, but let's get to a really candid part of the conversation. What is one issue or topic that you think that people wouldn't want to acknowledge? It's like confessional yeah. here for a moment. They'd be like, no way am I admitting that in any voice recorded. But you and I can do that because we're independent now. Yes. <laughs> um, that they, but, but these conversations are absolutely going on or not being had? What's the one biggest thing that you would say right now, like if, if you and I were in that hallway and we worked at the same company that, that we would either be avoiding or needing to have? 
Honestly, I think it's tied to a little bit of what you alluded to before of this idea of um, in the boardroom, these conversations of like, if left to their own devices, people would get a faster horse. Um, but it's it's deeper than just that conversation. And it's the disconnect that I see across different levels and just not being able to see people like see things from other people's perspective that I think is really starting to erode at company culture and cause these like clashes at a, you know, us versus them mentality within the workplace that I think is really detrimental. And it goes back to a little bit of what I said again, when we, when I post content on TikTok and I've been doing a lot of this in, um, the insurance industry talking about how we need to be having different conversations and we need to be educating people about the role of insurance and and the mission of our industry and having more candid educational discussions with our consumers so that they can understand why certain decisions are being made or why things are happening in the industry. The same thing is like brought down to the microcosm of a specific company. And it's this like inability to see things from other people's perspective that makes everything adversarial when in reality, nobody is necessarily going out there to be malicious. It's that they maybe don't understand your perspective and you don't understand theirs. And there's nobody helping to mediate that communication. And it comes to the way that people view tech buyers. And we even joked about some of this stuff, like what a salesperson is. I didn't want to be in sales because of the perception of a salesperson there's a perception of the insurance industry from the outside and everything is these us versus them, like things that pile on to one another of like, Oh, well, executives just bring in technology so that they can say they were a transformation leader. And then they're off to the next one to go get paid. They don't care about the rest of us or, you know, our employees don't necessarily want to move it forward. They just care about like making their spot better. That is a really interesting dynamic that I seem to be remote work versus hybrid work versus in person, all of these dynamics of like, they don't want us to come in because of culture. They want Mm -hmm. us for control or like, they don't want to come in because they don't want to work. You know, it's like that, that's not actually the crux of any of it. We just have these communication barriers that are breaking down all over the place that make it harder for us to accomplish any of our goals. I think you're bringing up an amazing point and I'm just going to go ahead and thread this through because you know, we talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Right, so many initiatives, so much focus here. I mean, here, so two women, like you know, like we're, we're in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there can't be probably anything more with the risk of more exclusive, unintended consequences than not finding a way to become conversant and digital. And and I find it very interesting on the things we do focus on, which is definitely needed, by the way, for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But as I sit here and think of this, and as we describe, you know, how fluent children are becoming, and, you know, my my 13-year-old, like, wrote a paper on the way to school using ChatGPT the other day. I mean, with, like, he was doing research. It it doesn't matter. But the point is, how do you think of that? And, And I don't see this yet tied me personally, maybe you've seen this, Emma. I don't see people tying their digital literacy, their AI um, 
foundational fluency, you know, like, like we would teach Latin or piano is to music or ballet is to dance. I don't yet see this being tied to D, I, and E and B initiatives. And I kind of wonder if we're missing the mark there and that we should be including this as an aspect of inclusion and belonging. What, what are your thoughts? I haven't ever thought of it in that capacity. Um, but I do think technology is a yeah very big equalizer. And um, I think that the democratization of technology provides a lot of options for people to reshape career paths, go after passions, dive into things that they may not have ever understood previously um, in a whole new way. And I mean, we look at my career path specifically, and I say this all the time, you brought it up. I'm a 33 year old woman who has the opportunity to be having these types of conversations, to own my own business, to be on stages and helping shape the dialogue of an industry, all because I got really good at making a video on my phone and sharing my ideas and breaking down the barriers of what used to be put in place to get to that level. And so like, I'm a huge advocate for what technology can do for breaking down barriers and giving people the opportunity to take full control over their careers. And I guess now that you put it into that perspective, I've never really thought of it in the context of diversity, inclusion, belonging. I haven't ever thought of it that way, but it is truthfully a part of that. I also think, um, now this you know, could every be a whole different podcast episode, but I LinkedIn, think that we've or we got do a podcast <laughs> together. We at least create five more follow-ons. So I think we're doing well today, Emma. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I do think, again, I mentioned I went to school to be a social studies teacher. I think that we have a pretty big opportunity as a society to start building some of this digital literacy and these skill sets in at a much younger level. Your son, you know, using ChatGPT to help, that's great. I guarantee that that wasn't necessarily something that was, like, advocated in the classroom yet because we haven't figured out how to bring these technologies in. And, um, you know, my daughter uses technology in her classroom right now, but the way that she uses it is to update the way they do standardized testing. It's not being used as like a curriculum tool and helping her figure those things out. She's learning that stuff at home. But so we're almost creating this new level of like discrepancy within our society of people that have access to these technologies and can learn how to use these Mm -hmm. tools that can democratize at, at home as opposed to in the classroom. And I think we've got an opportunity to do that that would help change the trajectory of what what inclusion looks like moving forward. I love how powerful it is to think that we are going to learn the most from people that immerse themselves into exploration, into kind of um, self-education and awareness. And the fact that um, actually it is so democratized that you don't actually need like a formalized corporate program. You don't need a formalized degree. You don't need to go to a certain curriculum or whatever. And so it's very interesting to me to see how this can be leveraged, how this can be, you know, uh, somebody was joking the other day that like more people probably know how to record a TikTok video. I don't clearly, cause I always ask Emma to help me, but more people may know how to record a TikTok video than know how to <laughs> like, you know, uh, post a blog or a paper on their corporate. So it's really interesting. And, you know, I guess with that, Emma, like all things, like we'll have to continue to be continued. The dialogue will always to be continued. 
Thank you so much. That's a wrap today for this episode of Insurance Unplugged, AI in the City. A huge thank you to Emma. Please go check out her consulting website. I absolutely love what she is doing with Roloff Consulting. And, of course, you can't miss her on LinkedIn, on her digital explainers. And as she mentioned during this episode, she has a wealth of information available to you all for free to improve your digital literacy. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Emma. Thank you for having me. This episode of Insurance Unplugged was brought to you by Expert.ai. With Expert.ai's hybrid AI approach, the symbolic AI, machine learning, and LLMs are combined to bring the level of understanding and insight offered by an experienced claims professional at scale across an organization. Join us next week as we continue our discussion on Insurance Unplugged, uncovering all the behind the scenes AI in the city, sponsored by Expert.ai.